You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hunt. And we are your friendly hosts of this monthly politics and pop culture podcast. We will be educating you about some of the big and not so big issues and news occurrences of September 2020 in this episode. But first, Micah, how was your month? What did you get up to? September kind of felt like a non-month. I spent the first yeah, two right? months, like weeks of September in denial and pretending it was still August. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then I just like got back into school and things had been a little crazy. Um, and now it's almost over. So I get what you mean. You know. I feel like I did a lot of fun stuff at the beginning. Um, I don't think we recorded since I went upstate for a few days. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that was really fun. I went paddle boarding and to a brewery and actually ate at a restaurant outdoors which was pretty exciting uh and then I came back and it was labor day and there was you know the barbecue celebration of that and then I kind of feel like since then I you know I work in Mm -hmm. doing all that so I feel you it's it's a strange month I think because labor day was so late this year it really right. just kind of messed the September schedule. Yeah, it was late, right? Mm-hmm. It's the, yeah. almost the latest it can be, I think. Huh. Yeah, definitely a strange, uh, a strange month. And then I don't believe all the schools in New York are back. Like, not that I go to school, but mm-hmm. it hasn't really <laughs> felt like a back-to-school situation for either, like, schools or colleges. Yeah. Um, you know, my roommates and my friends who are in college are going, like, one or two days a week or mainly online and yeah I think it kind of disrupts it's like if it got to December and like Christmas didn't come and you'd be really like wait what's it going just on a little off. yeah 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 I'm glad we're on the same off page with that then <laughs> has it at least given you time to read something I believe it has because we've discussed yes. this um off mic because we are real life friends <laughs> uh, <laughs> what what have you you read this month micah tell um, us about mike did you get it mike micah like the microphone off uh-huh. we talked about this off mic you can cut this that was rough <laughs> <laughs> um you know tell us about the books i will i'll start with the book that um only i read and then we'll talk about the book we both read okay okay um, cool 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 uh one book I read was mm-hmm. um, The Hand on the Wall by Maureen Johnson. And I think mm-hmm. I talked about the second book in this series like a year ago on this podcast. I was just about to while. say that her name sounds very familiar. Yeah. I'm just going to look up what Maureen Johnson is like part of the kind of YA John Green era canon. Um, she wrote um, Let It Snow I was, one yeah. of, with mm-hmm. John Green. Um, I think her most popular book might be 13 little blue envelopes it's the first one that comes up yep yeah um but this series is about oh, this is a new is, one yes it like just the last one just came out okay and it's a mystery series Ooh. um 
And it's about Stevie, who attends a prestigious school called Allingham Academy. And it's known for, one, accepting exceptional students, but also to be the site of one of the world's greatest unsolved mysteries. And she goes to Allingham Academy to solve that mystery. And then shenanigans ensue, and there's a mystery. It's half the mystery that's in the past, and then half the mystery that's occurring in the present. Oh, cool. Um, And, yeah, I... It's definitely like a fast-paced read. I had to read it in three days because my library only gave it to me uh, three days before I had to leave. Thank you, library. Um, But it was great. I just sat down for like two sessions and just read the whole thing. So if you're looking for like a nice YA book um, series to kind of take your mind off of the world, Maureen Johnson, Truly Devious, really good. I think um, I'm going to do that. That sounds yeah. really, really good. The audiobooks are great. I listened to the first two and then read the third. Huh. Okay, this is going on the list, the list for sure. Um, I think I've been a bit sad since finishing the book that I read uh, this month, mm-hmm. which is the one that we both read, <laughs> A Beautifully Foolish Endeavor by Hank Green. Uh, we have both talked about the the previous book in this series before, which was called An Absolutely Remarkable Thing. Um, And that was about a recent college grad named April May who finds a huge robot-like sculpture in the middle of Manhattan one night. And it turns out many of the robot-like sculptures have popped up in other cities around the world. And they could be extraterrestrial life giving humans a mystery to solve. Um, So with that first book it was sort of you know april at the center of things and being an investigation of what online fame is like which Mm -hmm. is obviously something that hank green has a lot of familiarity with and then this one to me i don't know would you agree mike it felt more science fiction it was more about the who slash what carl is which is the name that april may gave to the statues and all about how technology can connect us and evolve and mm-hmm. you know could become crazy intense with some big consequences mm-hmm. i think the first book is about like what are the content what are the consequences of the online world for our present yeah. and then the second book is what are those consequences for the future yeah that's that's a good way a good way of explaining it for sure yeah yeah because i think the second one um and i've heard in interviews that hank was saying that this one is more science fiction because it's like an exploration of new technologies mm-hmm. and this one really does center on a new technology that is i don't want to use the word invented but harnessed and the consequences that could have whereas yeah the other one is like social media trolling or um mm-hmm. you know polarization online so uh yeah definitely really really interesting i I mean, you just mentioned a book series, but I I do think as an adult, it's not very rare to read series. So it was really nice to revisit the characters and also to read science fiction as someone who's not a science fiction person. This was like very accessible and made it really fun. So I think it was, yeah, it's just not something I read as an adult. Like I probably when I was younger would have read things that were, you know, outside the realm of you know a, a modern um you know rom-com like book but i and you know books and series and then since i've been older i haven't and i think this was really nice to 
to do that. I also love the writing style as well. What did you think about that? Yeah. I I think Hank Green is a great writer. It's one of those books that you like can't put down. Yes. And then yes. when you do put it down, you it like sticks with you as you're mm-hmm. going about your day. I really think this book is really well timed as like yes. how it's come out. I think if you're really as a person like we're struggling with some like pandemic related anxiety or angst I think this book is a great remedy to that and like helps you process those feelings a bit because it is about how do we deal with like a complete change in the way that the world works and what we thought the world was going to be um and obviously in the science fiction case it's like a much bigger rupture in the world but I think it deals with some of the same issues of like not knowing what your future is necessarily going to look like and how do you like find meaning in like just existing as a human um which i think is some things that like at least i found really valuable from it yeah i think it sort of explains and tackles feelings you might be having in a way that's pretty head-on like if you replaced Mm -hmm. a lot of things like you know the name of the technology with coronavirus I think it would hold true but it's just enough distance that you can um you know separate yourself from it Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel as exhausting as reading you know news articles about it or as as realistic or like pressing on your life Mm -hmm. um so I think it's a really good a really good balance there um it's just it's so much fun to read because I think almost every chapter ends with like a podcast transcript or some tweets and it's so modern like that that it just makes it so much fun I think Mm -hmm. for me I probably wish I had read it a little bit slower because I might have understood and absorbed the sci-fi aspects of it a bit better Um, and I would also recommend maybe rereading the first book before yeah did you do that I didn't because I I had like it was a library book and so I only had a 14-day loan on it Um, but I wish I had because I think that would have really helped remember like the characters I think Hank Green talked about this in an interview at some point but he named all the characters in the book like when he started writing and wasn't he was going to change the names and then didn't because at the he got to the point where he like those were their names but one of the problems is the four main characters are April and Andy and Maya and Miranda yeah and that's just like it's sometimes real hard to differentiate between and there is a moment where there's an editing mistake and Mm -hmm. they they mix up two of the the characters but you're right I think like I've always heard that one of the the rules of writing is to make all the characters names especially the main ones like as different as possible um mm-hmm. it's a bit like when you're watching a hallmark movie and like the two guys competing over the girl's attention are both like tall and blonde and you're like i'm it's- i can't tell which is the good one and which is the bad one they look the same mm-hmm. um yeah it can be a little like that um i think for me it was a lot of the stuff that had happened in the first one with the carls and um it's not rehashed in the second one like it not this really. One really kind of picks up where the other one left off which is awesome because when I was doing my Twilight reread recently you know you pick <laughs> up the clips and Bella would be like Edward my boyfriend who is a vampire walked over and like, <laughs> come on you know, know it was like basic stuff like constantly rehashed where this was the opposite so recommendations would be read the first one again before mm-hmm. like for, or if you've never read it read it quite close to to reading this one 
um, and try and slow down if possible. I realize that's like, it's a bit like asking someone to eat birthday cake slowly. You know, it's just so delicious yeah. and fun and exciting, but it might help absorb the technology better. I would love to give both of them a read again. I think I'll probably do that in the yes. new year. Yeah. Yeah. So it's obviously been our book of the month. We have had mm-hmm. a good a good gab about that. Um, so after we do reading, we talk about watching. What have you watched, Micah? Um, I watched many things this month. Uh-huh. I had I had a bit of spare time. Um, but two things that I watched that I would like to recommend to you are first Parenthood, which um, is a series. I actually started watching it in high school and then recently realized that I'd never seen the final season and really wanted to. So Parenthood is written by the creator of Friday Night Lights and it's about um, the Braverman family who lives in Berkeley and it watches how the four um, children who are now adults navigate parenthood in their own different ways. Um, And it has some of some faves like Lauren Graham and Mae Whitman. it has Dex, Dax Shepard in what I would argue is maybe his only good role. Um, Do you not like him? I think he's, I think a lot of what he's done has been like kind of B rom coms or like. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Like that but when this is, like, when in, is it called When in Rome? Or- yes. Yeah, I mean. He also was in an episode of Always Sunny and he just ran into a fire and that was pretty funny. Like I mean, straight he into got a fire. Start, he got a start on Punked, so like that tells you about Dax. Yeah, Shepard. okay. Okay. Um but he's great in this. Um also Does his role have like some depth to it. It's not yes, just running into does. fire. Okay. No, no, no. It, he <laughs> he plays the like black sheep of the family, um, who like doesn't is the only one who isn't married and kind of like does laundry at his parents' house every weekend. But then oh, in yeah. the first episode, you find out that he has a son who you <gasps> know about. And then he like takes on responsibility for helping to raise his son who's now five. Jesus. Yeah. Um, the other car- uh, actor you may know and love is um, Michael B. Jordan's uh, guests in season two. He plays the um, troubled older boyfriend of mm-hmm. one of the teenage daughters, and he is fantastic. Is this after his spot in Friday Night Lights? Yes, I think he did Friday Night Lights this and then, like, shot into fame. Uh-huh. Um, okay, so the guy who yeah. made Friday Night Lights is obviously very, like, things are getting a little slow. Why don't we bring in <laughs> Michael uh-huh. B. Jordan? Michael yeah. B. Jordan. <laughs> Michael um, B. Jordan saved the end of Friday Night Lights. <laughs> Pretty much yes. single-handedly. Tim Riggins had gone. Jason Street was years out of it. But here mm-hmm. we have Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. Yes. So he's great. This is, I think, Parenthood is the original show that makes you cry every week show. Right. Um, and, like, I think it burns it. And it doesn't, like, the, the struggles that the characters go through are, like, real struggles. And it's not kind of just crying making you cry for the sake of it Mm -hmm. um and so there's like there's so many plot points in the like seven seasons but one is um one of in the first episode one of the sons is diagnosed as being autistic or at the time asperger's but now we say autistic um there's an adoption plot there's a cancer storyline 
And it works kind of, it doesn't feel overwhelming in the like grace anatomy, everything goes wrong type of way. It kind of, throughout the seven seasons, there's challenges that they they go through. Um, I feel like people bring that up about um, Euphoria a lot, which, you know, mm -hmm. yay, a recent Emmy win. Um, But it is sort of like, it's a show about, you know, there's, let's say, five or six main children in it because they're like 17 but every one of them has an overwhelming problem yeah one of them was in rehab one of them is involved in a very strange possibly probably illegal sex thing like somebody Mm -hmm. else is like a cam girl somebody else had like their nudes it's like a there's a lot like everybody has an intense thing so Mm -hmm. i like the sound of something that's paced and spaced out a bit more realistically. Yes. That's definitely how it feels. And it like it's interesting. It feels very like Obama era TV in that like Oh like Parks the, and Rec. The- Everything's gonna be okay. <laughs> yeah. Like Dax Shepard's son that he finds is black and they don't address it for seasons and then they have like an episode about voting and they like have some conversation about what it means to raise a black child in America. But, like, in the end of the day, it's kind of hopeful, um, which I don't know if this conversation would be the same, framed in the same way now. Um, anyways, Parenthood is a great show. Would definitely recommend. On the on the different side of the coin, I have a show that I would not recommend as, like, any sort of good TV, but was very enjoyable. Um, I watched um, Say I Do, which is... I would describe it as, like, Queer Eye for Weddings. Um, Amazing. Amazing. So three um, gay experts, one who does decor, one who does fashion, and one who does cooking, um, help a groom plan a surprise wedding for his partner in a week. Um, And, like, those shows do stress me out, though. They they make it not stressful. Like, they're kind of, like, a little stressed about it, but mostly it's just, like – Let's go through this emotional cathartic journey about like why you're here and why you haven't gotten married yet and like oh okay right because couple. I find the most stressful part is that the groom is like really really stupid like oh, they there are a couple of those but they know like nothing like they're engaged <laughs> to a human and um, somehow they've never had a conversation about like what color she likes. Does she have a crippling allergy that you're now going to include in as the main course of the dinner? Yeah. Like, it's bizarre or somebody would be like oh i hope there is i do not want a dj like i hate djs and then he's like i think a dj would work really well at the <laughs> wedding like, how is this never brought up i know or did you just um, not retain the information or like what it's yeah it for the most part i think there's like two episodes especially there's an older couple that gets married and he knows nothing about his partner it's really odd um but in general um the grooms seem to know quite a bit and they part of it is like they kind of like help them deal with some of their issues that they're having or like help improve their lives in some way so in one episode they take um a gay couple to go see an adoption lawyer so they can learn about how they can adopt children because one of the the like decorator has kids and like went through that whole process before it's an incredibly cheesy show but it is a beautiful show too. It's like great wedding inspo and like insane the decor that they do in a week. I bet. And like Ty Nugent is the um, 
uh, fashion guy, and he like hand makes a dress in a week. Is he and the body suit. of the show where he's like doing the heavy lifting, and the other ones are like, "Here's my team of caterers who are going to make hot dogs." And you're like, <laughs> so he he does the heavy lifting, but he does have like two older like seamstresses who hang okay. out in his atelier, as he likes to call it. Um, the the chef like he's Italian, and he like preps all the food like he conceptualizes it but then there's like an actual cooking team who makes it all so he can attend the wedding because you know as much as i love queer eye and especially anthony it's very painful Mm -hmm. to watch him teach someone how to make guacamole which even i can do and bobby Mm -hmm. turns like uh, like redecorates an entire fire station or something like that or like reforms a church even though he has like a traumatic experience with religion (laughs) like he, he he Queer Eye, on his back. On his back. I wonder mm-hmm. how it's doing. He probably should go see a chiropractor. Yeah, he should. <laughs> so those were those were my watches. What about you? I watched a show called Sweet Magnolias on Netflix. Have you you've seen this? Before, I right? have seen this, yes. <gasps> okay, good, good, good. Um, so this is actually based off a book series, which I didn't know, but it is. Uh, so now I'm desperately trying to borrow those books <laughs> from the library because I watched all 10 episodes in about two days and I'm having withdrawals. But this is um, a show that centers on three women. So there's homemaker Maddie, lawyer Helen, and chef Dana Sue. And they're lifelong best friends who live in the small town of Serenity, South Carolina. And the show kind of kicks off when Maddie's doctor husband, who's played by Chris Klein, leaves her and her three kids for his young nurse, played by Jamie Lynn Spears, who he had an affair with and got pregnant. <laughs> big, big drama. So she's sort of like rebuilding her life and the three women go into business together and, you know, they all start exploring new relationships and they have dramas with like their kids and work. And um, I don't know, it really, it really surprised me because I thought it was going to be another terrible, cheesy, like ridiculously cheesy Netflix venture, you know, things like mm-hmm. A Christmas Prince or um, Love Guaranteed, which is a Netflix original movie I did watch this month. And, you know, that that, that definitely gave me the sugary fix. But it was kind of good. Like, not all the way good. It was still definitely cheesy, <laughs> but kind of good. So I was a little was confused. good enough that I think, like, there's a cliffhanger at the end. Oh, the cliffhanger. And I like, the cliffhanger at the end is insane. And I think the fact that I desperately wanted to watch the next season showed that, like, it was good enough. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Especially originally, like, the characters all felt super stereotypical, borderline Mm -hmm. offensive, and then actually, like, became really fleshed out and Mm -hmm. interesting. Like, I mean, for example, I think there's probably been a lot of pieces written about it, but Dana Sue is a chef, and she is a fat woman. And that's kind of this big stereotype that people have criticized shows like Gilmore Girls about, right? Mm -hmm. In that oh, we've got another fat chef. But I don't know. I feel like she really, she's given a lot of depth. She has, she's very flirty, very sexual. And I think that's something that we don't get to see on TV a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. She's super confident, very charismatic, and also very headstrong and stubborn. And she really, she owns a restaurant and she really like leads that kitchen and runs a tight ship i think she's a very interesting and 
complex character and i was pleasantly surprised by the evolution of of dana sue so i think she might be my favorite of the three did you have a favorite uh Mm. sweet magnolia as they call themselves i think i liked maddie i don't know yeah they were all nice maddie was sweet Mm -hmm. yeah I like Jamie Lynn Spears, even though she was kind of I did, too. Um, yeah, no, I think was... she, like, had a great redemption arc. Yeah, yeah. You guys will understand when you watch it. Mm-hmm. But um, I did think that was interesting in that you kind of got to see somebody who, you know, kind of broke up someone's family. Um, mm-hmm. And you got to see a lot of other people's – a lot of people's, like, perspective on that. You know, there's – the ex-wife that obviously fully believes that but there's and there's like a kid who believes it and then there's another kid that's actually like i don't know she's a a nice lady and like were my parents that happy together you know so it's um it's complex i'm a i'm a big fan of the magnolias i would love to have a margarita night with you sometime soon my mm. like like the magnolias do every episode they have a little cocktail night and it's very cute it is i love that for them um Oh, actually, another thing I really liked was that almost everyone in the show was, like, divorced or, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it, it was sort of, like, about people who, you know, were not in their 20s. They were in their, like, nearly 40s. And um, there were, a diff- like, a lot of different family structures like that. And, yeah, the coach is another one who mentioned that he'd been divorced, like, already. Yes. So I just thought that was nice, especially in a show that is somewhat traditional like there's a lot of times where they go to church or like they pray and like they try and have these kind of christian values and it was i i just thought it was a little bit more complex to be like Mm -hmm. okay people's lives aren't perfect either yeah yeah so big up sweet magnolias um okay reading watching now we are up to listening what have you listened to micah um a podcast is what i've been mainly a rival um (laughs) So I've been listening to Last Scene, which is a podcast about um, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum oh. 1990 art heist. Oh, Boston yeah. vibes. It's major Boston vibes. Um, it takes place uh, – I think it was made like a year ago, two years ago. But That's basically it – and it's produced in partnership with – um, WBUR Boston and the Boston Globe. Amazing. Um, yes. And so if those who aren't in the know, the Isabella Stewart Gardner Museum is a museum in Boston um, that was set up by Isabella Stewart Gardner um, in the turn of the century. Um, she was like a big socialite and she like built this like Italian-esque mansion to house, like to house just her art and it's beautiful. Um, but in the 90s, uh, there was an art heist that stole 13 paintings, and they're now valued at over $500 million. Mm-hmm. So it's one of the biggest art heists in history that hasn't been solved. Um, and the podcast kind of goes through every single theory. It goes through like the whole FBI Ooh. investigation. Um, but also the Spotlight team at the Boston Globe, which you may remember yes. from Oscar award-winning Spotlight. movie Spotlight, um, they one of the members on their team is, was also doing his own research. And then the last episode, they follow up on one of his leads, which is very cool. Um, would definitely recommend it. I listened to it in two days. It was great. 
Um, a lot of like Boston gangster stuff happens. Oh, I um, love it. You kind of need, it's not something you can listen to while like doing intense work because okay, there's okay. so many names and you kind of need to figure out who's who. And like everyone is named Bobby. Very classic Boston. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it is, it is, it requires a little bit of concentration, but a great podcast. What about you? Um, also podcast for me this this month. Um, I got into a couple on my road trip upstate. We were driving, you know, about three hours and then had the car while we were there and, you know, exploring different towns. So it was a really good time to to listen to some short podcasts. Like I wanted ones that were short series like things like last scene that you could, mm-hmm. you know, listen to the six to ten episodes and um, just really enjoy. So the first one I listened to was Chasing Cosby by the Los Angeles Times. Uh, and obviously major uh, sexual violence trigger warnings on this one. So I'm not recommending mm-hmm. it to everyone. But it does illuminate the rise and fall of comedian uh, Bill Cosby, who was once called America's dad and is now a convicted sex offender. And we hear from dozens of women who he abused over decades. It is shocking and horrifying and i mean one of the things that shocked and horrified me the most was that i had sort of only heard about his crimes recently but they had been going on for decades and had been reported and making you know the rounds in the news for like 15 years as well mm-hmm. um so it was bizarre to me that he was really only convicted a couple years ago. It was um, a very, very, very intense listen, but um, really well done. So if if it's something that interests you and you think that um, you can listen to that, I will recommend it. Um, another pretty intense podcast I listened to is the classic S-Town uh, by Serial and This American Life. I just never got around to this one. And one of my friends recommended it and i thought it was wild you know mm-hmm. i really have you listened to this micah yeah i listened to it when it came out yeah yeah it's um it's super interesting uh i don't actually want to say what it's about because i think that'll give too much away but originally i thought it was going to be about clock making the visuals uh for like the the cover of it um is like yes. this clock making artwork and the intro is all about clock making and i was like oh god this is boring and then i thought it was <laughs> going to be about a murder in alabama and i was like Ooh. and then it wasn't and it, it just took a completely different direction um i think one of the things this thing that did the best is um just constantly challenging my opinion you know you'd listen to a whole episode where we're getting one person's perspective on a situation and you know you listen to that and you think that you've got all the facts and you think that you know who's the good guy and who's the bad guy and then the next episode will turn all of that on its head and then the one after that will approach things from a completely different angle or pull at a different thread of the issue and I just I thought that was really masterful. So I think that one would be a really interesting listen to. So this month in politics, um, we're going to talk about free and fair elections. But before we do that, I know that one topic that seems like the most relevant to talk about is Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But we've actually already done a podcast on her. And so I would 
I want to direct you to that podcast if you're interested, but I'd like to make an addendum about it. I think that podcast really goes into her history as a person and the strides that she made both for herself, but then for women in America. And I think it's impossible to argue that she didn't make life better for women in America. However, I think since her death, we have seen this reconsideration, or maybe just we haven't been focusing before on the things that she's done that maybe put her on the wrong side of history. I think this is definitely true for certain decisions she's made about Native American rights to their land. Um, And so we don't mention those as much in that podcast, and I didn't want to point you there without stating that those are important and that's just not kind of like the focus of what the podcast was about. But if you want to read about that, there's a lot of really interesting pieces out right now about her history and kind of how she sat on the court. That That's my Ruth Bader Ginsburg addendum. Thank you, Micah. You're welcome. So with the American election coming up in T-minus a month and a bit um, and other elections happening, I will be voting for an election on October 24th because my province is having a snap election. Um, Today, as we're recording this, we still don't know if Canada will have a federal election. We might. Welcome to a parliamentary system. (laughs) Um, And part of, because we're in a pandemic, there's kind of some worry about like how elections will take place. And there's also been quite a bit of discussion about like what makes a good election. So, Um, People, political scientists, journalists argue that um, an important part of democracy is that not only are there elections, but that those elections are what we call free and fair. And the pandemic can kind of brings worries into the freeness and fairness of those elections. So I thought we would talk about that. So the question, what Mm -hmm. is a free and a fair election? Um, an election is free insofar that it allows all citizens to participate in the electoral process. So not okay. just voting, but the things that happened before, and we'll talk about that. And then fairness is about everyone getting treated equally during that political process. Um, the kind of key definer of free and fair elections is the Interparliamentary Union, and that's a global organization of national parliaments around the world. And they have a declaration on free and fair elections, and that kind of guides the definition that people use. So in their, the the first section of that um, states what they say as a definition. So they say, in any state, the authority of the government can only derive from the will of the people as expressed in genuine free and fair elections held at regular intervals on the basis of universal, equal, and secret suffrage. Suffrage being voting. So universal, equal, and secret, I think, is really interesting and key. Um, And they organize what it means to have a free and fair election into kind of three separate parts. So first is kind of the main thing we think about in elections, and that's citizens voting. So they say that every adult should be eligible to vote within the addendums of the state itself. So we see that um, in all countries, you have to be a citizen to vote for the most part. Um, 
there's some exceptions to that to say like in London, non-citizens can vote in the mayoral election if they huh. live in London. Um, um, we also see um, more controversial um, addendums to all citizens can vote in that in some states in the U.S., um, criminals can't vote. So either if you're in prison or even after you're out of prison in Florida right now, you have to have paid all of your um, like bail bills to and fees to court. So there's actually a bail fund you can donate to to get people debt free from the state so that they're eligible to vote. Wow, which will pop in the description because yes, it's a really um, yeah. important way to get everyone franchised. Uh-huh. Um, and so obviously, so there's addendums to everyone should be able to vote. Um, you should also have recourse if you're denied the right to vote. So you should be able to go to a court and say, this electoral commissioner didn't allow me to vote and I have the right to do so. Um, and then you find recourse in that. So the, um, and there's a, like other addendums, but those are kind of important for mm-hmm. you as a citizen. The other part of a free and a fair election is that the people campaigning, the candidates themselves are able to do so. So... Um, everyone should have the right to run for office, given the addendums about citizenship, right, eligibility, um, and they should also have their campaign be heard. So people should be given equal voice to have their campaign heard. If, um, and so say if only um, in Canada the Liberals were allowed to speak on TV, that wouldn't be a free and fair election because it meant that the other parties wouldn't have their voices heard in the same way. Um, part of that is also that you shouldn't face um, fear of violence for speaking out during an election. We see this a lot in um, what we would call like semi-democracies, quasi-democracies, mm-hmm. where the like uh, party that's in power threatens opposition from speaking during the election process. Um, another part of that is you have the in a free and a fair election, you have the right to express your political opinions. Um, so that's your right vis-a-vis the state. So the state can't come and tell you that you're not allowed to say certain political things. Um, it also like encompasses like certain media rights. But basically, the process before you actually go and vote is just as important in the fairness of the election um, as the actual voting itself. And then the final kind of part of a free and fair election is the role of the state. So part of it is the state should be ensuring those rights of you being able to vote and candidates being able to run. Um, But they also need to make it so that there is an election. So there should be a independent organization and body that holds that election um, that should be devoid of politics. Um, They should respect all the rights of citizens and candidates in that process. Um, and most one of the most important parts is they should make sure that the votes are counted unbiasedly. Hmm. And we see in this case, I think we can, especially look at like American history, see where you could make the argument that American elections have never been free and fair. And that like the concept of gerrymandering where um, parties decide what electoral districts look like and then that changes mm-hmm. who wins. Um, it's called gerrymandering because it's named after the man who like invented it, and it looked like a salamander. The district he did, <laughs> so his name is Barry Gerrymander. Really? Yeah. 
That's funny. It is. It's a good, and then like now we use it in like a bunch of contexts. Yeah. Um, so our definition here would say that that isn't a free and a fair election because it's not an independent organization determining how you're going to vote. It's partisans, um, politicians deciding how your vote will be translated into a seat. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so you can have some debate around that about how, given that, what does it mean to have a free and fair election in the U.S.? Um, in a recent study that came out in 2019 by Bishop and Holfer um, at Oxford, they compiled um, data from 1975 to 2011 and looked at how free and fair elections were across the world. And they've actually seen a decrease in the fair- freeness and fairness of elections. Really? Yeah. So in the 70s, they found that 70% of elections that happened in the world were free and fair. And in the last 10 years of their studies, so 2001 to 2011, they only had 45% of the elections being free and fair. Is that from countries like changing or moving away from like democratic systems or the ones that are still meant to be democratic systems not actually being free and fair? Um, I For the most part, what they found is that the process leading up to the election was getting manipulated. Oh, okay. So stuff like not allowing everyone to participate in um, the election and um, or like going so far as like killing opposition members, like from the wide range of like not allowing state media to cover certain things right. to actual acts of violence have increased. And part of that is I would think this is me positing um, that we have seen an increase in elections more generally since 1975. Mm. And part, and some of those are imposed by international bodies. Um, and some of those aren't exactly wanted by the people in power. Um, so I think that's part of it, but it is, it, it's for the most part, people who already have power manipulating the election so that they maintain their power. So that study is really interesting saying that, we've seen a decrease in the last um, 10 years, like since that study's period, um, one of the biggest threats we've seen to freeness and fairness of elections has been the internet. Um, And in like a bunch of different ways. So one way is that foreign governments we've seen recently have been using their cyber powers, whether that's hacking or misinformation to affect the results of elections. So, we saw. We know that in 2016, the Democrats were hacked, um, and their information was published online and given to the Republicans. Um, we know that the most recent Australian election was hacked by either Chinese or Russian operatives, and different parties' information was disseminated. Have you watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix? Yet? I haven't yet. It kind of goes into something like this, like not. Mm-hmm. I I don't get. It, it sort of suggests that a lot of this happens more so than than we think. Like we're kind mm-hmm. of profiled and fed certain information at certain rates to um, elicit specific behavioral outcomes. And mm-hmm. um, I mean, yeah, that's even why you, everything is so polarized online, right? Like people kind of fit themselves into these like black and white categories um these like very specific profiles and yeah i'm sure that does have effects on elections and yeah yeah if that's like 
a business starting to do that just for like clicks and then you know where do you end up with that you can have some pretty dire consequences yeah exactly mm. um and we have to remember that part of a free and a fair election is having the the correct information about who you're voting for and right, where you're right. voting yeah um and so when we see online misinformation that's affecting the election outcome um so there's foreign interference, but then this misinformation thing is can be seen as like an internal, like within the country problem with the internet. So Freedom House identifies three ways in which the internet is used to um, make elections less free and fair. Um, part of it is informationally when um, online discussions are manipulated um, in favor of the government or a certain party. Um, that can happen by outside actors too. I think there's a, a good episode of The Daily by the New York Times recently about Russian troll farms, um, which is just a weird place in the world, um, but would recommend that. Um, the A more kind of malicious way um, that the internet is used is by restricting access to information. So news sources and communication tools, um, and then even further, there are legal measures that certain um, governments will take. Um, so regime members punishing um, their opponents or um, making it illegal to have certain forms of political expression online. Hmm. Um, you can see that with like the Chinese government has a very clamping down of like what information can be spread and it's typically only from their government. Um, you And uh, to a small extent, you can see that with the Russian government and their opposition as well. Um, that's like the extreme measure. I think like if we were thinking about in what we would consider more like democratically oriented countries, the like key thing where we should be worried about is misinformation right. and how we're getting information. Yeah, yeah. And who is putting that information out for what purpose? Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. Um, so the pandemic brings in another layer into yeah. how do we have free and fair elections. What has the pandemic not touched in our lives? I know. Um, so basically, it's how do we keep people safe as we right. vote? Um, so part of this is that in certain countries that have had unfair elections in the past, we have election monitors. Um, so that's outside actors. Um, typically from European nations who fly to um, these nations that are having elections to monitor um, the elections. So they sit and they like, they watch um, like how the pre-election goes, but then also like our votes getting counted properly. Um, and obviously travel is difficult right now. Right. Um, you should, being in enclosed spaces is difficult right now. Um, the other way that we have free and fair elections is a more typical way, which is, having members of parties in the room while the ballots are counted. Yeah. Um, and we actually saw the consequences of the pandemic on this in Canada when we had an election for the leader of the Conservative Party. And they had to have social distancing and limited people, which meant voting was slower. And then they had a voting machine that so everyone like sent them in envelopes and one of their machines opened the envelopes, but while doing so ripped in half, like thousands of ballots. Um, oh no. Yeah. 
it was a lot. And so because they had less people in the room, they now all of a sudden you have to look at the ballots and determine who this person is voting for when it's ripped in half. You need all of these monitors, but you have less of them because yep. you're social distancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were supposed to announce the results at 7 p.m. EST, I think it was, and they announced them at 1 a.m. Um, yeah. So it was, it was kind of a shit Bit show. Of a fiasco. Yeah, and um, so that's kind of one thing we have to think about is how do we, when problems occur, how do we solve them given that we have a pandemic? Um, the other question that we have to think about is how do candidates themselves reach their constituents? Um, you shouldn't really be having rallies. Yeah. Um, also, there's a question of how safe door knocking is especially because that's really like an important way that people get out the vote, not necessarily one way or the other, but just getting people to vote is going door to door. And Oh, that's actually when I was in the park the other day, this woman was going around to everyone and asking, are you registered to vote? And she went up to a guy sitting next to me. When are you registered to vote? Am I ready, set, go? Oh, it was so funny. So I guess an alternative to door knocking is just to like say things and, like to do it in the park. But she was like behind the mask and like muffled. <laughs> oh, and no. being, like, Are you ready, set, go? It was so funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so I can I can see the struggle there. Yeah. Um. So yeah, the alternative to door knocking and rallies is to have more media campaigns, yeah. which is on the internet. And so then we have to think about these considerations about yeah. how is that being manipulated. Yes. Uh-huh. Also, like. It costs more money to do right, mm-hmm. like it, like a paid Facebook ad versus your volunteers going door to door. So then we think about who has the money and who doesn't have the money. Um, so there's all of these considerations about the equality of yeah. information access, and then obviously we have the what seems to be the main issue that people think about is how do I vote safely? Yeah, um, the safest way to vote is by mail. You don't go outside. Um, you just do it from your home. Um, there have been certain political actors who claim that voting by mail is fraudulent. Um, every study ever done about mail and voting has shown that this is entirely false. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's no more fraudulent than voting in person. Um, and it's safe and millions of Americans specifically have done it. Yeah. Um, including the president. Um, the other options for making voting safer is to have more voting access. So early voting. So we saw that happening in the states already for the November 3rd election, um, where they had record-breaking lines already. Because I think the anxiety about whether this election coming up is going to be free and fair um, has made people really want to vote as soon as they possibly can. Um as a side note in that, what we also saw were um, Trump supporters preventing people to vote. And that is a classic, like through intimidation, that's a classic sign that you're not having a free right. and fair election yeah, and that you're not in a democracy or having a democratic election. Um, so that's concerning. Um, obviously, you can also they also put in safety measures when you vote. Um, hopefully getting younger poll workers because poll workers are disproportionately older. Um, so if you have the opportunity and you're healthy and young, volunteering to be a poll worker is a great way to make sure that your election goes well. 
Um, but it does mean that it's going to take longer to vote probably this year, mm. um, which is worrying considering that we know from things like gerrymandering that there are less polling stations in certain communities, which makes it take longer to vote. An important thing to remember in a free and fair election, you are not allowed to be turned away from voting. If you're standing in line, you should be able to vote. Um, Even if the polls have closed, you are allowed to vote as long as you're in line. Um, And there's a a worry that people will just give up voting because they have to stand in this long line because there are less people out in the building and less voting. So those are kind of our pandemic-related concerns about free and fair elections. And they're mostly about access and not about fraud. There's been some portrayal by certain parties that it is about fraud in the election. Um, And I think that transitions nicely into my last point, which is what you may have noticed we haven't talked about and what's not in the intra-parliamentary definition is about what happens after an election. Um, So a free and fair election is an important part of democracy, but another key part of the definition of democracy is that the uh, results of the election are respected. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you win, given the system that exists, um, you win, and if you lose, you step down and you have a peaceful transfer of power to the next mm-hmm. um, leaders. And what we're seeing right now is that the pandemic and these, like, I think right concerns we have about, like, how do we uh, get equal and full access to voting are being manipulated to sow doubt into the election and thereby making the process even more undemocratic by putting doubt into the actual results. Um, And that is scary, Um, especially because we have seen that other countries have been able and are being able to have full normal elections yeah new zealand is going to the polls very very soon um british columbia is going um they had elections in tanzania they're having elections in tanzania in october we'll see how those goes but obviously that's a very different case um and so we need to put that in context and like really understand what it means to have a free and fair election to Mm -hmm. understand what it means to have a reputable election result and a respected election result so that is free and fair elections in a pandemic um i think having knowledge is this form of power and even if it's very sometimes academic at times i think it's important to know what your rights are as a citizen in a democracy yeah i mean it's daunting enough without that so if you can Mm -hmm. arm yourself with anything i think this is very helpful So for the pop culture section of the podcast this month, I thought I would talk about fall, which is, you know, you're probably saying that's a season, not a pop culture <laughs> event, but I am here to to say the opposite. Um, I think all seasons capture our hearts and imaginations every year, but fall is my favorite. So I wanted to talk about the ways that it has really influenced our um our pop culture and maybe how pop culture has 
influenced our perception of fall itself. So I think the best way to start is kind of by asking why are we all so obsessed with fall? And as I just said, we're, we kind of become obsessed with the beginning of every season. Like, you know, you think of barbecue and beach trips in the summer or you get excited about snow and Christmas movies as soon as like December rolls around. But fall actually does have a very cool scientific explanation behind it. According to Catherine Lively, who is a professor of sociology at Dartmouth College, um, our obsession with fall begins with the social constructs we experience as kids. So she says, we're conditioned from a very early age that the autumn comes with all these exciting things. She said this to the Huffington Post. As children, we come to associate fall with going back to school, new school supplies, seeing friends. It's exciting for most. We still respond to this pattern that we experienced for 18 years. And also, um, a the researchers of a paper published in the Journal of Personality and Social Psychology in 2013 noted, much as physical landmarks help structure our representation of space, temporal landmarks such as birthdays and significant calendar dates structure our perception of time. And they can also act as behavioral motivators. So the beginning of fall might make you want to learn how to make really great soups or become like a more arts and crafty scrapbooky kind of person. <laughs> um, or it might make you gravitate towards certain media. So in 2012, researchers discovered that the cold weather made some people more likely to select films that they associated with psychological warmth, like romantic comedies. So when the temperature is, you know, it's a bit like when the temperature outside is lower and we reach for experiences that make you feel closer to others. Like, you know, we call cuffing season um when everyone's trying to like lock down a boyfriend or girlfriend to cuddle with um during the winter <laughs> so that they don't feel lonely um so all of these factors like the idea of um the root the exciting routines that we establish as children and um this sort of like time marker that can motivate uh positive behaviors that is why we're so obsessed with fall um and that these like scientific factors of obsessions are very good um, for the capitalist society we live within mm -hmm. because um, even though fall doesn't have a gifting holiday like Christmas, it does generate a ton of money. Um, so yeah, our obsession with fall, very beneficial to the economy. The pumpkin spice industry is, <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm, that's an industry. It is estimated to be a $600 million market, and that was back in 2018. So one can only imagine what it is now. Um, I want to ask all the listeners just to take a moment and just question, what do you think the top three pumpkin spice products are? Take a moment there. Just come up with some ideas. Micah, have you, have you got any ideas without looking at the cheat sheet that we're both reading off right now? <laughs> well, obviously pumpkin spice lattes. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, which I've never actually had before. Neither. Um, I think this could be my year, though. The bright orange scares me. I'm much more into, like, the Christmas Starbucks drinks. A gingerbread latte, down for it. Have you um, ever done, like, the St. Patrick's Day ones where they're, like, green? I haven't. I've had a the McDonald's St. Patrick's milkshake, but other than that. Um, anyway, so pumpkin spice latte, um, candles, oh. and that would be my – and then, like – Hmm. would be my guess some sort of other consumable thing 
Okay, like you're you're pretty close. So the number one pumpkin spice product is pie filling. Okay, that kind that of checks. Sense. Yep. Yeah. Number two, pumpkin spice lattes. Um, and number three, dog food. What? What? Why? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm link the uh, Forbes article that I got this from. I will also share the pie chart. Pardon the pun. In the, <laughs> on the uh, different things can be said Instagram, which is at DTCPS podcast. Um, just if you want to go check that out. Um, <laughs> truly insane. The dog food is one of the top pumpkin spice products, but. Um, to- Excuse my language, but do they really give a shit? Like, <laughs> dogs are like, yes, the the pumpkin spice season, it's come around. <laughs> like, I don't even think dogs understand like things like Christmas, so I'm not really sure how they're gonna understand mm-hmm. fall. It's bizarre. Um, it's truly bizarre. Um, also, I don't know if you're supposed to be like changing your dog's diet that much. Um, I thought dogs and animals in general liked eating the same thing. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was like good for them. Um, but. Or maybe Audrey's like listening right now, my dog, and is like, No, I've been begging for different food for years. <laughs> the same stuff. And it's not even pumpkin spice flavored. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but for humans, yeah, the pumpkin spice latte is up there. Um, a little history on that, because it is such like an economic powerhouse this season. <laughs> um, it was introduced in 2003, and Starbucks specifically pumpkin spice lattes account for $110 million of that $600 million market. Uh-huh. Yep. That's like a lot of pumpkin spice lattes because they retail for like between like $4.50 and like $6. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how to do the math on that. Let me like try. So I mean, that's probably like the whole profit situation. Help- yeah. Yeah. Profits, yeah. It's a but, it's a lot of pumpkin spice lattes. It's a lot, yeah, yeah. We'll just leave it at that. There's a lot. People are buying a lot of pumpkin spice lattes, um, due to you know Starbucks marketing around it, um, mm-hmm. how it's become such an element of pop culture. Right, we associate it with fall and with a certain perception of fall that I will get to in just a moment um but I think like the scarcity element of it has helped a lot you know it's this drink that's only around for um a few months of the year so there is a bit of like a a rush to that um but you know who knows how it could go this year because Starbucks sales were down 13% this July so it could be a little bit different in a COVID year um but the other kind of big money spinner um of fall is in the u.s uh thanksgiving so mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean even though this isn't a gift giving holiday traditionally um last year it was estimated that americans would spend 186 dollars and five cents each over the thanksgiving holiday um so a lot of that is food um you know turkeys ain't cheap but also travel it's one of the the biggest travel weekends mm-hmm. in in America. Um, so, you know, all those gas money and the train tickets and the plane tickets, they all add up. I do think it'll be interesting to see what that spend is like this year when yeah. people probably can't travel that much or might not be mm-hmm. hosting big events. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I know a lot of universities have changed how their semester works because normally oh. what happens is American students – start school in September, go home for Thanksgiving late November, then come back for exams and then go home again for Christmas. Yes. Which just like seems inefficient. Um, Yeah, they're back for like three weeks or something. Yeah, exactly. I 
at um, my current university, we have a lot of American students. And obviously, as Canadians, we don't have American Thanksgiving off, and it's quite like difficult for them. Um, but this year, they're changing schedules. So they started earlier in August, and they're going to go until Thanksgiving, and then they have like a really long break. And oh. some schools... Like, they're not going back until February, so you get 10 weeks off in between semesters. Well, I suppose if it's all online and it does make sense to have, like, less toing and froing and coming and going. And it's also, like, I I know, you know, we're all not supposed to be traveling that much this year, but I'm not going to begrudge someone to go home to their family for Christmas, Mm -hmm. you know, so I can understand um, that. The benefit of Thanksgiving being in November for Americans is great. Like we just had a national address from the prime minister last night mm-hmm. and Trudeau said, Thanksgiving, it's canceled. Just a little <laughs> sad. He's like, Thanksgiving is canceled. We can save Christmas. So now Canada trying to save Christmas. Oh my gosh. This is like a, this is like a cheesy Netflix movie. It is starring Justin Trudeau. Canada saves Christmas. <laughs> yeah. He'd be like a hot Santa. Mm. Oh yeah. Sorry, I'm gonna get into just some truth stuff. Uh, <laughs> okay, so um, that's kind of like how capitalism and the economy has propelled and fueled, and definitely has like a vested interest in us being obsessed with fall. Um, but another element, I guess, is kind of like a beast of our own making, or oh, who knows? The internet is what I'm getting at, and it's a mystery. Um, and I think, you know, the in, in the internet does like to sort of crystallize things and drill it mm-hmm. down to core elements. And, you know, we were talking a little bit before about these kind of like black and white polarizations, which, you know, when we're talking about issues, like can, you know, ignore nuance and make things very polarizing and dangerous. But yeah, we've almost kind of created a profile of fall now. Um thanks to the internet and I guess like the homogenization that that encourages, you know, if everyone has access to the same information, we can all kind of come to the same conclusion about what fall means. Mm -hmm. And um, the incarnation that we've kind of come up with, and this phrase was coined last year, is Christian girl autumn. (laughs) Great name, great name. It's a, a spinoff of Hot Girl Summer, which is um, when last year we were all living fabulously and unapologetically all summer after Megan Thee Stallion defined it in her song, Hot Girl Summer. Um, and the Christian Girl Autumn as a spinoff began when a Twitter user named Giovanna tweeted a picture of North Carolina influencer Caitlin Covington and her friend Emily Gemma wearing big scarves and curls Um with the caption hot girl summer is over now it's time for christian girl autumn and i think that was the moment when it clicked for everyone of you know what it that's exactly like who we would think of as the stereotypical autumn person the girl Mm -hmm. who is um obsessed with like her big plaid scarves and of like taking a road trip to vermont to like roll around in leaves and um drinking a pumpkin spice latte and buying candles at Target. And it is this like very stereotypical basic idea of of autumn. And when the tweet was initially um, made, I believe Giovanna was interviewed about it later on and said that she like literally just Googled like 
scarf girl and this was like the first thing that came <laughs> out um but you know people did get kind of weird with it very quickly there was a lot of people um that you know immediately jumped to assumptions that i think reflects the polarization of society you know they were saying um that these two girls and girls that look like that and you know love basic things like pumpkin spice latte are republicans and homophobic and racist and um Caitlin Covington, the influencer, really like turned it around by responding really well to the meme, um, which I think is so interesting for so many reasons. So like, first of all, she leaned into it um, by posting a bunch of her favorite fall pics. Um, she said something like, you know, if you guys are going to post fall pictures of me, can you at least use some of the recent ones that I'm really proud of? Um, and there was a <laughs> one like particularly great one where someone is holding up a leaf that's made so and she's like enough in the background that the leaf looks like a skirt on her um very creative and cute and pinteresty um and i think that was kind of fun because she sort of leaned into it but not over the top you know you know when somebody like appears in one meme or something like that and then we have to mm-hmm. hear about them for the rest of their lives and like then buy their merch and it's all that kind of thing she didn't do that so she was she just actually was responded pretty humorously to it in a way that was encouraging but not too far um and she said that you know people making fun of her didn't bother her she was like no i'm i'm not a republican i'm not an i am an lgbtq ally you know people would message her and be like what do you think of um gay marriage and she's like love is love i love it um and i thought that was so refreshing to see somebody respond like a a normal human being to something (laughs) on the internet um and also like hopefully a reminder that people can be different than we think they are on the surface or that um there's nothing wrong about liking basic things it doesn't make you a specific type of person you know as we say anything can be cool different things can be sad there's nothing wrong with liking a bunch of basic fall things it doesn't mean that you're a specific type of person um she actually reshared a lot of the memes this week there was a lot of people posting pictures of her with captions like it's the first day of fall i can feel her powers returning um <laughs> and she shared a lot of the pictures she also shared um the twitter user who orig- originally made um the meme posted a gofundme for uh gender affirming um procedures and caitlin shared the gofundme um encouraged everyone to donate to it uh i she didn't say anything in her post but when you kind of clicked in the gofundme and like looked through it she donated 500 dollars to um this trans person's procedures Mm -hmm. so it was yeah it's just you know there's there's some little bits of like (laughs) goodness out there there are nice sweet things and i think Mm -hmm. that's the essence of fall i think i've seen a lot of like commentary lately about this christian girl autumn idea is everyone's like you know what i wish i could be like that i wish i could be you know just running around in some leaves with my pumpkin spice latte and you know what for brief moments i think we all have that ability so i think it's important that's why i love fall let's just get into like a fun fall spirit um and there's lots of ways you can actually do that so i thought i would give a few recommendations for reading watching and listening items so yes we're doubling up on reading watching and listening this month Ooh. um mm-hmm, mm-hmm. go on little rogue 
But yeah, some reading, watching, and listening items that might inspire you to be more in the fall spirit. Um, so, Micah, while I'm doing this, you need to think of your own ones as well, okay? Because I, okay. I will be turning On the, the mic fly. to you. Yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've done lots of prep here. Um, I have talked about it before, but in terms of books, I really like When You Reach Me by Rebecca Steed or Stead. It's a, about a middle schooler named Miranda who lives in 1970s New York City mm-hmm. and um, kind of like starts learning about time travel. And for me, um, it's definitely harking back to that uh, childhood pattern that this was a book that I loved as a kid. And it feels mm-hmm. very like cozy and nostalgic to me, which I think is what the essence of fall is. Um, and I also think like the, I mean, obviously it's a book. It doesn't have like, it's not a picture book. It doesn't have colors, but you definitely get, you know, when you say things like the 70s and like New York City, I think you get a color palette that immediately evokes fall, you know, uh, like sepias, browns, and oranges. So um, When You Reach Me is definitely on my fall reading list. Um, quick, Micah, what's on yours? What's on yours? I'm gonna um, show you. <laughs> uh, the only thing I can think of is like books that feature school. And for some reason, I think of like the first Harry Potter. Addendum. I was just about to say, yeah. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. D- don't buy any Harry Potter things. J.K. Rowling sucks. Um Go buy a used copy. Um, They're everywhere. Every thrift store has them. They have like actually the thrift stores I've been in lately, I think probably because J.K. Rowling sucks so much and people are getting rid of their Harry Potter stuff. There's like nice like limited edition like hardback Harry Potters in there. Yeah. Just don't give her money. But no, like she does not need money. The first book feels very fall to me. Yeah. No, I know I'm not its biggest fan, but Prisoner of Azkaban, I think, has a fall vibe as well. The movie, I think, has a very fall vibe. Yes, it does. Yeah. No Chambi of Seekies, but Chambi of Seekies has a winter <laughs> vibe. Um, I'll do another episode in December. I'm like, how do you get into winter vibes? Chambi of Seekies. Um, okay, watching, could watch Prisoner of Azkaban. Um, for me, When Harry Met Sally. So, again, going for that uh, emotional warmth. Um, you could make an argument that it's a New Year's Eve movie due to the climactic scene, um, but it does have great, like, mm-hmm. leaves falling in New York montages and great sweaters so uh when harry met sally definitely for me um any halloween movies because that is obviously a big holiday of of fall so halloween town the adams family practical magic haunted mansion i think they're all great like childhood ones as well um and i do have a hallmark movie that i i love (laughs) i think honestly hallmark should get more into these because we have so many freaking christmas ones like hallmark and netflix so many cheesy Christmas ones, not enough cheesy fall ones, in my opinion. But there is one called Harvest Love, and it's a movie about an overworked surgeon um, in very Christian girl fall attire who finds herself at her family's pear farm. Um, probably would have preferred pumpkin, but I will allow um, pears in this situation just due to the underrepresented market of fall in movies. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Quick fire again to you, Micah. Ah, the only thing I can think of is when Harry met Sally. It has like what in my yeah, mind right. now, yeah. it's I guess an adult is the quintessential image of fall. It's when you're, they're in the Met, the yeah. museum, and they're in the Temple of Dender exhibit. And if you haven't been there, it's like this old temple that they relocated. Um, and there are these full glass windows and that look out into Central Park. And the trees, you can see the trees, and the trees are, like, orange. They're so and orange. They're, they're so, so orange. beautiful. And, like, 
for the last four years, I have been in that room during fall. And it is like, that is what fall is to me. So I might hit that up then. Thank you for the record. Yeah. Um, the Temple of Gender is um, one of my happy places. Um, and when Harry went Sally, like, perfectly and captures why. I feel Gilmore Girls is a good um, – Gilmore Girls yeah. is. That's true. I think the whole vibe of Gilmore Girls, like no matter what season they're in, feels like fall because it's so like cozy and wholesome. Um, and especially the opening credits, you're immediately like, oh, this is fall. Um, yes. Which I think is because it's like New England and that is like New England's time to shine. Mm-hmm. Uh- <laughs> and like every season starts with the beginning of a school year. and Yeah, yeah. Oh, they should do like a – you know how people do like a – like friends thanksgiving episodes like they've made a list of like those ones mm-hmm. i would love to see a list of like best like gilmore girl fall episodes yes i should make it myself that will be my legacy to the world um in terms of listening i am currently trying to make a playlist of songs that evoke fall um i think some classic examples are california dreamin by the mamas and papas it does mention winter but like it also mentions like leaves a lot so that mm-hmm. definitely counts um you know a lot of Fleetwood Mac dreams Rhiannon they all feel very fall um and Harvest Moon by Neil Young I think is also a very um fall track um and I, I think like I guess it's by design to me like certain albums and even like artists as a whole feel very attached to certain seasons like I think I've talked about before that like Albert Hammond Jr.'s first album is very like summery to me. And mm-hmm. so is like Suck It and See by Arctic Monkeys. Um, but I think Taylor Swift's new album, Folklore, is very full, right? Yes. Um, and I think artists like Big Thief and The National and The Shins and Lee Fullerbeck feel um, very full. I mean, some of them might err on the side of winter a little bit, but mm-hmm. primarily full. Um, have you got any fall bangers? Fall I think definitely like, that like folky vibe. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Fairy fall. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll share my playlist when I've got it done. I will perfect share it again on the mm-hmm. uh, podcast, which once again is at DTCBS podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized I did just say I will share it on the podcast. I obviously meant share it on the Instagram. I um. Uh, having my brain warped by saying the word fall so many times so yes. i apologize i think this exercise <laughs> is really interesting because when i think of like themed media i think summer yes. or winter but like rarely yes. do i think like if you were like give me a list of your favorite summer books very easy yes like but like fall things the vibe i think because it's only been defined in the last like couple years yes is harder like there hasn't been enough time for like media to be created on the vibe well yeah that's what i mean like there's not enough like hallmark and netflix go like ham on the christmas movies and the wintry mm-hmm. movies but like have not given the same attention to fall mm-hmm. i also think fall Maybe has like a pretty short like i don't know like mm-hmm. i feel like winter is like quintessentially december um but fall like yeah it's a little bit it's quite short and i think it is like a transitional season like summer and winter are like these extremes right yeah and even when i was listing out those artists or like those movies like you could make arguments that some of them are more wintry mm-hmm. yeah maybe like like fall intersects interestingly with like the new idea of dark academia yeah 
And so, like, then you could bring in, like, those movies of, like, Dead Poets Society. Yes. Like, Goodwill Hunting, like, those kind of, like, university-based. Yeah. Mona Lisa's Smile, like, those kind yeah. of mm-hmm. school-based. Yeah. Yeah, school, because school, like, the, the, the yeah, the real school mm-hmm. time is, like, September. Um, and also, like, yeah, so many of those school-based media really lean into, like, they go to the most like quintessentially academic area, which is like which is New, England. New England. Yeah, yeah, right. Which is like the most like that's where we that's like the most fall area. I would argue in the world, like for sure in this country. Um, and I guess this is kind of where we're like setting that precedent of like what is fall. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna get a more like fall image than like some like cobble streets and like uh, a brown brick building of Yale with like orange leaves on it you know um, mm-hmm. so yeah that is that is how I would um, describe our feeling of um, fall and how it kind of intersects with pop culture as you can see um, there's like a, a scientific reason that we're obsessed with it and there's a economic repellent to that um we've used the internet to really define it and a lot of pop cultural items to define it and it's all a big jumble and i hope that out of that jumble we get happiness because fall Mm -hmm. makes me very happy and i hope that i will be coming to the podcast next month with some leaf peeping tales (laughs) i want to peep some leaves Alrighty then. That is pretty much it for another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Um, Micah, I've already let on that I plan to do some leaf peeping this um, month. What, do you, what is on your agenda? School. <laughs> long pause. Mostly just school. And we're back in this era of Micah, of uh, your yes. updates being school. My updates being like, I wrote a thing. I read many things. Um, yeah, this is kind of this year for me is going to be a lot of just reading and writing um, and existing. You can do but, it. We're all here for you. I'll bring you like fun up fall themed updates of like I made four pies or something. <gasps> I promise. Oh, I am hoping to do some pumpkin bread this week. So mm-hmm. yes, yes, this is very exciting. I did my first banana bread in September actually. Ooh. So really late to the pandemic bread banking party, but. <laughs> I'm in now. I'm mm-hmm. in now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you do want to keep up with pies or leaves, um, you should follow once again the podcast Instagram <laughs> at DTCBS Podcast or our individual accounts. I am at Yasmin Lomax. I'm at Ms. Clearwater. Which now I think we've fully decided is a Twilight reference. No, it's <laughs> still I don't care. I never ma- I I need to change it. I'm just nervous about changing things on the internet leah clearwater leah clearwater. <laughs> our real werewolf hero screw jacob he's a creep leah's where it's at <laughs> uh, oh what season do you think twilight is oh it's so fall but like fall on like the west coast where the like trees November are evergreen fall. yes oh, yeah it's not oh, an yeah. it's like a dark up, fall as someone who grew up in the pacific northwest yes. like it rains yeah. and that's what happens in like of course it's forks the rainiest town in 
in the United States or whatever. Okay, Michael, we need to we need to cut ourselves off before we do go and like talk about Twilight for a very long time because yes. I could do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> until next time, everybody, a cheerio. Bye. Bye. Bye.